Hello, hello. Welcome to Rishav the Stamp Podcast. I'm really pumped to have Rishav Jain on the pod today. Rishav is a teen innovator, researcher, and a content creator. At the age of 13, he was already named America's top young scientist for his novel research in improving radiotherapy for pancreatic cancer patients. In 2018, he was named one of Time Magazine's 25 most influential teens. And in 2022, Jane won the Regeneron Young Scientist Distinction for his work to improve the efficiency of recombinant DNA technology. So that ISAP not only won first place in biomedical engineering, but also received the $50,000 Regeneron Young Scientist Award. Rishav is also the founder and president of the Samyak Science Society, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting STEM education among youth. Rishab is also a YouTuber and online content creator with around 100k subs on YouTube, creating videos for students to improve their productivity with technology. And with no further ado, hi Rishab, welcome on the pod. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. Well, one naturally wonders, having already done so much and achieved so many, how did your STEM journey begin? You know, what inspired you to investigate and communicate the wonders of science? Yeah, so my STEM journey kind of started at a really young age. Um, I think when I was around four years old, I visited the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. That's where I'm from, Portland, Oregon. And I remember there, I would be really hooked into all of the science experiments, like their chemistry lab, um, and then engineering a paper airplane to fly the best. And so that's, I think, where my interest in science first started. Um, And from there, I got really hooked into technology and computer programming. So from a really young age, I was making computer apps and games and programs. And that kind of led me to artificial intelligence research, which has been the backbone of a lot of my STEM research. Um, And I've really just always been very curious about the STEM fields. And I've been uh, really excited to learn more about all of the different aspects of STEM uh, and continue learning through my science research. Well, research has just formalized curiosity in essence, and you really proved that since you possess that hunger for knowledge and discovering more. Um, You've mentioned you've had apps, so that was uh, when you were interested in technology. Do you remember your first app ever created? Yeah, actually I do. That's a that's a pretty fond memory of mine because my older brother and my parents often bring that memory up of my first program. It was a bumblebee that had a picture of my face over the bumblebee's head and it had a sound of a, a buzzing sound and it would just jump around Uh, bounce off the walls of the screen back and forth. So it wasn't interactive or anything, no buttons, no uh, cool gimmicks, but it was just uh, some random program that I made. And so my parents and my brother often remember that, uh, the memory of when I first created that. Oh, so sweet. Be you, I guess. (laughs) And then you ventured to treat a deadly disease with a shockingly low survival rate. Could you walk us through the backstory and development of your research? Yeah, definitely. So this was one of my first research projects, and it started back in the summer of 2017 uh, when I went to visit my brother in Boston. Um, and while I was there, I learned about some research that was going on at a nearby laboratory. And the shockingly low survival rates of the disease, which was pancreatic cancer. At the time, I think the survival rates were something around like 5% um, for a five-year survival rate, which is extremely low compared to other cancers and other diseases. And so at the same time, I was um, you know, really interested in programming and I was experimenting with artificial intelligence. That was around the time when Uh, artificial intelligence was going a lot more mainstream with inventions like, uh, or devices like the Google Home and Amazon Alexa were popping up. And so I started to learn about artificial intelligence. And I, I came up with the idea of combining 
my programming skills in AI to solve a problem in pancreatic cancer research. So I started reading a lot about uh, the different ways that pancreatic cancer is treated and how it's diagnosed. And that's when I came across something which was actually MRI-guided radiotherapy. So in this procedure, patients with pancreatic cancer will have an MRI scan of their abdomen um, in real time, and that allows oncologists to kind of track the location of the pancreas. So I wondered, could I use, if they're already using a computer to kind of track that location in this, uh, that at the time that was like a very new technique used for radiotherapy. And so I was interested to see, can I take real-time images that were coming from that MRI and use a computer algorithm to track the location of the pancreas um, so that the radiation can be targeted more effectively than on a, uh, like a doctor or an oncologist's eye who's kind of looking at the pancreas or a radiologist who's outlining it. Um, and so I came up with the, an idea of using artificial intelligence programming, uh, namely a technique called deep learning, to segment out the pancreas location uh, to help improve that treatment. And so that's kind of um, how I came up with the idea and uh, the story of, of how I first got exposed to both AI and uh, pancreatic cancer. That research sounds fascinating. And I remember scrolling through the comments on the Tech Insider's interview, and a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm 22, sitting in my basement and figuring out my life purpose. And here's this kid at 13 who's already ready to solve you know, one of uh, our greatest battle, cancer. So it's really amazing that you already possess that passion provided with really that inner motivation to help others. So um, congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, I did see a lot of those comments on those YouTube videos, um, and I couldn't help but think that, you know, oftentimes people underestimate the the power that the, the next generation of teens who grew up like me, grew up with computers and technology all around us. And so I think that we're going to use those devices to also solve problems um, and potentially even cure diseases one day. Absolutely. And this pancreatic cancer deep learning system, um, I'm interested, are you still working on it, uh, trying to contact hospitals, or is it already being utilized in treatment? Yeah, so I'm not currently working on that research. I actually shifted from um, working on the pancreatic cancer deep learning system to another research project in pancreatic cancer that was more focused on the diagnosis of uh, a pancreatic cancer and being able to genetically sequence the disease. But um, since then, I, I have kept up to date with the latest inventions and research that's going on with that. And so um, just a year after I worked on my research with the pancreatic cancer deep learning system, I've been seeing more and more um, studies that have basically shown the efficacy of AI models in tracking organs such as the pancreas in real time. Um, and so I think that although these models aren't being used in the hospital yet, I believe as uh, the, the medicine community gains more trust in these AI algorithms and as they get better and imp improve, um, they very soon will be uh, getting used in the clinic in real time. Hopefully, harnessing the power of AI and treating diseases more efficiently. Really well said. Yes, definitely. And since we've talked about AI, lately you presented ICRO. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Uh, it's actually ICOR. ICOR. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, ICOR, an AI based model that makes the rapid and cost effective production of drugs possible. So, why is your invention of significant importance in today's world? The biggest example of why we need rapid and, and cost-effective production of drugs is the COVID-19 pandemic. I think it's been like abundantly clear at the, at the start near 2020 that there was a lot of talk for the rapid acceleration of vaccine development and that we need something right now. And so being able to produce these vaccines faster and being able to produce them for lower costs will enable them to be distributed uh, in a shorter period of time, which can help save lives in, in the wake of a pandemic. But in addition to that, it's definitely applicable to uh, other diseases as well. And so with cancer and with 
issues like in, uh, diabetes. Um, there are a variety of recombinant drugs and vaccines that are used to treat those uh, diseases. And so my research on, on i what it focuses on doing is um, improving the production of that to make it uh, faster and make it more cost effective so that those drugs can be administered for patients in an easier way and in a, in a wider way for more people to be receiving those. So your system could also be applied to COVID-19 vaccines and I guess a variety of vaccines since the host organism can be not only E. coli, but other cells maybe as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's similar to that. So in i um, I created an AI model that optimizes the genetic sequence of whatever drug that you're trying to produce, the protein that's responsible for that drug, uh, in, and it's able to produce more of that protein uh, in E. coli. And so E. coli is a commonly used cell factory for a variety of drugs, from hepatitis to um, some cancer drugs. And so on human insulin, uh, there are other cells, as you stated, such as uh, like mammalian cells that are used to produce those types of drugs. And so uh, the same methodology of using AI to improve the genetic sequence of the protein that you're trying to express inside of the cell factory can be utilized. And so, um, yes, it can be applied to a, a wide variety of different diseases. And so in i I've mainly focused on uh, testing it on a couple uh, proteins such as uh, Falvac1, which is actually responsible for uh, a malaria vaccine. And so uh, I've demonstrated that it's able to produce around double the amount of uh, protein that's used for that malaria vaccine with the same amount of time, cost, and uh, the amount of cell that's being used. That really is of significant importance. I must wonder, we're going to talk about science fairs, but what did go through your mind and how did you experience when they called out in your name and you had to walk on stage to receive not only the first award, but the big award at ISA? What was it like? Right, right. Um, it was definitely, it was definitely exciting for sure. Um, I think of course, there's one aspect of just getting your research celebrated, but at the same time at these science fair competitions, such as uh, ISAF, there's just um, there's just this science community that's been built up over a long period of time. And so since middle school, I've been competing in science fairs uh, with the dream of one day, you know, walking on that stage at ISAF. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a combination of both seeing your research being celebrated and uh, all of the hard work culminating in such a grand award, but also at the same time, um, seeing how, you know, from, from middle school, uh, you know, wanting to to compete at ISEF and getting to share your research at the world. Also, that dream being propelled further. So it was a combination of both of those feelings. And I think overall, it was uh, just very exciting. And uh, it was it was amazing to, to see that uh, I had won that award. Hmm. Especially knowing how much hard work, grit and endurance it had to take. Because it really is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's really a sweet tip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, at this at the science competitions, right? We're presenting, um, you know, in some cases over a year of research. In my case, it was two years of of research and a lot of time spent. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely like kind of you're when you're presenting, you're only sharing uh, five minutes of what may have taken, you know, hundreds of hours of research or thousands of hours of research. But yeah, it's, it's amazing. And on that note, have you faced roadblocks during investigation? And if you did, how did you overcome them? I think any person who's conducted science research has definitely faced uh, numerous roadblocks. And so um, I think commonly what's, what's told to like, overcome roadblocks is to gain more knowledge and to review science literature in order to more effectively tackle problems. But I think um, at the end of the day, it comes down to that idea of grit and being able to just try and try and try again and just keep trying. Um, I have, you know, a lot of examples of this. I remember a couple of years ago, this, this memory is really, really powerful for me because it was the first time I kind of realized this the importance of perseverance uh, 
in overcoming these roadblocks because it's it's easy to say to just try again, but when you're actually doing it, um, it becomes a lot harder. And so I remember my first time I was working with, I had initially learned a lot of my artificial program, artificial intelligence programming skills in, uh, in MATLAB, which is a uh, commonly used software for like data analysis and statistics. And so I remember my first time I was working with TensorFlow, which is a different library used in a programming language called Python. And I, I was, I was doing completely fine until I encountered this issue um, and there was really no known solution for that issue. And I remember spending like 12 hours one day just from the morning to the night uh, and just trying and, and trying again uh, to overcome that problem. And so after those 12 hours, I kind of set myself aside. I didn't really work on that. But the solution actually came six months later. I had to keep trying to overcome that that one issue, I worked on other research at the time. I worked, uh, I switched back to MATLAB and worked on a couple of different types of things that were going on in the research. And I came back to that problem I was trying to overcome. And so it took six months later for me to overcome that issue and figure out uh, a way I could solve that solve that problem. And so I think ultimately, whether it's a, a small problem that may take like an hour to resolve or a larger problem, it just comes down to that perseverance of being able to keep trying and knowing that you will fail or you may lose a lot of time trying to solve that issue. But at the end of the day, the only way to solve it is to just go at it uh, head on. (laughs) Exactly. It really is a test of patience. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, I'm also in research, and I think one of the greatest motivating forces is that you have a purpose for yourself, because then you know the why of you having to work through those issues and trying to solve the problems, and that can be really a stabilizing force in your journey. Definitely. I agree. Since you've also touched on the fact that you're interested in biotechnology and um, hopefully it impacting the way we live in today's world, how do you envision the future of medicine and where do you see yourself in that growth? So as you mentioned, like biotechnology is a huge part of uh, how the field of medicine is going to change in the future. Uh, I think it's abundantly clear that artificial intelligence is changing our world and it's shaping uh, every aspect of our society, especially so in medicine. And so um, how I see myself in that growth, I think it it comes down to how I'm going to continue my research. Um, so I, I see myself as like kind of a physician scientist who's involved with both um, treating patients directly in medicine as a physician, but also as a scientist who's involved with this research and with this groundbreaking technologies that are going to shape how patients are treated. And so I can see myself contributing on both aspects. And I hope that, you know, uh, ultimately that this, the the research that we're doing today and that um, scientists across the world are trying to, to make progress in various disciplines, those get directly applied in the field of medicine soon. And so that we can see the impacts of that research uh, directly in improving patient lives. Like for instance, in the survival rate of pancreatic cancer, um, it's already jumped 5% um, since when I first started working on, on the problem. And so I hope I see it jump another 10%, another 20% in the coming decades. I remember a lot of initiations on pancreatic cancer and people were saying that it basically equals a death sentence. And you who are creating the innovations to treat such diseases and also the medicals who are applying those um, cutting edge research are really changing the way how people live and hopefully adding many more years of healthiness um, to people's life. I also believe that, you know, there are a lot of moral and ethical issues raised by artificial intelligence and biotechnology, but perhaps people are more accepting than when it comes to their own health and to the health of their loved ones. So maybe it's going to be a field that's going to be, that's going to jumpstart in, in terms of innovation and research. Right. Um, yeah, I, I do agree that there are some concerns that definitely need to be addressed and need to be discussed amongst both the uh, community that's working on improving artificial intelligence and the community uh, of doctors and physicians who are using uh, those tools to treat patients. 
And so there definitely needs to be discussions on those moral and ethical uh, issues and those values. But at the same time, I feel like we've only scratched the surface of what uh, artificial intelligence can be in medicine. And so uh, over the next, by 2045, um, when hopefully we see powers of artificial general intelligence, those can potentially, you know, revolutionize everything that's being done. And so we've only scratched the surface and there's a lot more to be found in this area. We've alluded a little bit to ISEF and how amazing it can be. You've competed not only at ISEF, but various national and international platforms and also attended RSI. We have quite a few RSI alums on the Drop the STEM podcast. So what moments would you include, if we can say, in your STEM highlight reel? So I think my STEM highlights not only began with science fairs, but also before that. Uh, because at the end of the day, my STEM journey was started from, as I said the earlier, like those first moments, getting to experience the science museum for me and sparking my interest in science and technology, uh, like a moment of making my first program on the computer. And then, of course, later on, uh, when I first started my research, that was also, you know, Starting my first research project, I think that was definitely a big highlight of my STEM journey. Um, and then after that, I started to take my research and share it with the world. And that was initially started through science fairs and science competitions. So I think um, getting named America's top young scientist at the uh, 3M Young Scientist Challenge in St. Paul, Minnesota, that's definitely a big highlight of uh, of my STEM journey, because that's kind of one of the moments where I realized the importance of, of STEM and science communication as well, and uh, using a platform to inspire other people to get involved in science as well. And so uh, my first appearance on uh, national TV in the US on Good Morning America, I think that was a big moment as well, because it made me realize the the platform that I had and the the responsibility that I had and the interest that I had in sharing my involvement with in science with other teenagers and other kids around the world. Um, and then later, uh, more recently, I guess, competing in the U.S.'s uh, National Broadcom Master Science Competition um, and then competing in the Regeneron ISEF, as well as the uh, National Junior Science and Humanities Symposium. I met so many people that um, I would keep seeing uh, at all of these science competitions and I would see their names for doing science research. And so it formed this community of people who are inspired together. Then, yeah, more recently at RSI, getting to spend uh, six weeks with a lot of those same people that I met previously at those uh, people who were highly interested in science and technology, people who are sharing their ideas with the world as well. And so I think all of these have kind of formed this STEM journey for me. And um, I've met a lot of people along the way as well um, who are a part of those highlights. It really is like a, a neural network where you're all connected and sharing information, knowledge, and passion with each other and can be really galvanizing in your own journey as well. I'm really glad that you hear that you have such amazing milestone moments in your STEM journey mentioned that you were impacted by the research and by the knowledge shared by other contestants as well. Was there a, a project in particular that really caught your attention when walking through the aisles at ISAF? That's a really interesting question. Um, I did spend a lot of time at ISAF uh, getting to, um, to talk to others about their research. And I'm not sure if I have a project in particular, but I think I spent the majority of my time walking through the aisles of uh, the biomedical engineering category, which was my own, as well as the computational biology and uh, bioinformatics categories. And so I think just, you know, when you turn and you look at all of the poster boards in front of you, it's definitely a big realization that there are other people who are also high schoolers who are also working on science research. And so I think that's where the inspiration comes from, because um, in one's everyday life, they don't necessarily see a lot of other teenagers working on science research. And so these competitions and these events and these experiences like uh, RSI as well, they get to, um, to help students get inspired and surrounded by like-minded students. 
And so I wouldn't say I have a project in particular, but getting to see the vast um, amount and the vast number of uh, students and other high school researchers uh, is what the inspiration comes from. It really is a shock factor, and you need to process all the memories you've collected at ISEF because it's so grandiose. Test out different waters in terms of digital content creation because you're also active in that space. And I'm curious, what types of content do you enjoy creating the most? For digital content, I've been involved in two avenues. Uh, one is through uh, making YouTube videos, and the second was um, maintaining content on the social media platform called Discord. And so when I first started making YouTube videos, I had made videos about a variety of STEM topics, and I slowly noticed that I had an interest in some over others. And so that shaped a lot of the content that I created from I think around 2018 to 2021. Uh, but I think more recently, the types of content that I now enjoy creating the most are towards how we can use technology to improve people's lives. And so I've, I have a lot of content ideas about how people and other students can use technology to improve their productivity and to improve their experiences and their lives. And so um, recently I've been pretty busy and haven't been able to um, put out a lot of content on my YouTube channel, but um, I've pivoted in the area of productivity and lifestyle. So I really do enjoy you know, making videos that are backed by science uh, and backed by empirical data and propose ways that people can utilize those studies and utilize that scientific data to uh, improve their lifestyles. So from, from anything from, you know, studying and learning new topics and how we can use science and technology to improve that to, you know, lifestyle aspects um, for people's health and well-being. That sounds really interesting. And since you've touched upon productivity, um, do you have a ritual when it comes to studying? Do you use data-driven techniques? How does it look like for you? I actually use, for, for studying, I think it all starts with notes, as um, notes from lectures and notes from uh, books are the best way we can kind of summarize a lot of information into words that are meaningful to us and uh, words that help us recall past information. And I use a note style called Cornell Notes, and studies have kind of shown that Cornell Notes uh, offer around a 17% improvement in uh, recall, I believe, of, of that knowledge that you're trying to, to note take. Active recall is this uh, idea of basically testing yourself on being able to recall information rather than rereading and re-summarizing that information. And so my kind of ritual starts with those notes and then it continues uh, through active recall and by being able to basically try to recall what was previously learned without simply, you know, rereading or re-watching a lecture or video. Um, and so I think, yeah, those recall and the note-taking strategy is where it starts. And those are huge time savers. Yeah, definitely. Um, of course, re-watching a lecture for an hour versus being able to test your memory by recalling that information using the Cornell note style of uh, noting down questions and, and information, that's definitely a huge time saver for people. And in terms of helping people, what are some of the most common productivity mistakes that hinder people from living up to their full potential? I really love this question because it's something that I've been um, looking into a lot for the last couple of years. I've been really interested in trying to live my own life in a more productive manner so that I can basically have more time to create more impact in my research and also simply just do the things I love as well. And so uh, I think one common productivity mistake I can point out is uh, it's different for everyone, I suppose, but um, sitting down, 
while while giving this podcast, I'm actually standing up right now, and I love to stand. I think it gives people more energy, um, and studies have shown that people are able to work longer, uh, and it's of course, better for people's health with their posture, their spine and their muscles. And so I would suggest people who uh, want to consider standing up while while working and while studying, um, consider getting a standing desk and start uh, standing up and moving around while working, not just for their health, but for actual productivity. Uh, another mistake, again, I think I'll just point out that idea of active recall versus um, rereading. And so of course, in this when we have vast repositories of knowledge online. For instance, uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia has so much information, but rather than rereading a Wikipedia article four times, right? Instead, being able to recall that information by taking notes about it is is, uh, more effective. And that applies not just to the the digital space with articles, but when we're talking to people and... um, listening to lectures and podcasts and, and things of those matter. It's really interesting what you've been sharing and such a good device on standing up. Um, since I've been reminded of a, I believe it was a business school uh, study that people before a job interview performed so much better when they were standing up instead of sitting down because that just instantly boosted their confidence. And maybe it has some connection to what you've been expanding upon. So I really like that. For me personally, the standing up started uh, when I was around 13 or 14, so not not too long ago. Um, but it, it actually started from uh, words of advice from someone else. I met a choir conductor. I do I do choir, and so at an uh, Oregon's All State Honors Choir, uh, the choir conductor, Doctor Anthony Trasek King, he kind of noted this in his words of advice that consider standing up. And so since that point, I, I looked into it a little bit and I found that this is something that I would like to change about my life. And so ever since then, I've, I've tried to, to work while standing up. Then it has, even has connection to music. Amazing. And one little question before moving on to the next segment. It can be quite a polarizing opinion. Are you pro or anti-highlighter? I think I'm anti-highlighter. Uh, highlighting is akin to rereading information. And so when one highlights words on a page, all they're doing is rereading those words. And so I, I suppose while taking the notes, it can be helpful to highlight certain things that are more important than others or that you would like to place emphasis on. But the act of going through notes and re-highlighting what's done, I think that's uh, where a mistake is made. And instead, active recall strategies such as flashcards and quizzing are, are much more effective at retaining knowledge and retaining information. Yay for Enki. Yes, definitely. Among your volunteering activities then, you founded the Samyak Science Society. Could you expand on your mission and vision? Science activism uh, and through the Samyak Science Society, that's been a, a very big part of my science involvements. Since a young age, I was quite fortunate enough to get exposed to STEM. Um, And so growing up, I got to see my older brother make his first computer program. And so I always wanted to do the things he was doing. Those things ultimately led me to getting more involved in STEM and building a passion for STEM. And that's what led me to my first research project. And so when I was named America's top young scientist at around like age 13, 14, I was getting a lot of messages, uh, like hundreds and uh, hundreds of messages in my email um, and on social media from kids and young teens. And they were wondering how they could do science research too. And so I realized that uh, at with that platform at that time, uh, I have the opportunity to inspire other youth to get involved in STEM as well. Um, and there are so many kids out there who would uh, get involved in science and STEM if they had the opportunity to get that spark started. If that spark can get started, we can potentially raise an, a whole generation of inventors and innovators and people who are um, highly involved with STEM to solve big problems. And so that's when I started uh, the nonprofit organization, the Samyak Science Society. And so um, our organization, our mission is to promote STEM education. And we believe in the power of experiential learning where kids can get hands-on projects to truly fuel their curiosity. 
So we've worked with um, a bunch of different schools and thousands of students around the world to get that spark started through these interactive projects and workshops and STEM materials. That's how we've been going. And I've been really involved with that science activism. It's really interesting to see how the impact, see the impact that I can have uh, with my platform and see the impact I can have by giving back to my community. What a beautiful mission. And it truly sounds like a legacy transfer since your brother was the one who provided inspiration to you and you're doing the same with all the kids who contacted you and who uh, want to learn more about the wonders of STEM. Yeah, definitely. And um, I actually didn't mention this, but I... I co-founded the organization with my older brother. And so um, he's he's in Boston. And so he's been leading some efforts there. And I'm leading some, eff- we started, uh, I started leading some local efforts in Portland, Oregon um, some years ago. And now we've expanded a lot. And so we've been doing virtual activities around the world and partnering with schools around the world uh, to help their students as well. And yeah, it's just really inspiring to see uh, the impact that we can have in sparking curiosity in the next generation. East Coast meets West Coast then. (laughs) And if a megaphone were given to you and you could speak to all of the kids and young people in the world, what would your message be to today's youth? I've been asked this question pretty often. And I can tell you like, I've given a variety of answers <laughs> over the last couple of years. I think usually um, I've heard other people and myself say something pretty cliche, like follow your passion or stay curious. But ultimately, especially through uh, the influence that my YouTube channel has had on me over the last couple of years, I like to give practical advice that's um, either like my own anecdotal experiences or empirically fueled. And so... Um, My message to everyone would be, don't fall for the sunk cost fallacy. And so that's something that has tripped me up um, earlier in my research journey several years ago. Basically, the sunk cost fallacy is where one looks back at their mistakes, a waste of time that they had, and they feel like, because I already wasted X amount of hours trying to solve this problem and failed, I shouldn't continue wasting time. But the idea is that that already wasted time doesn't matter anymore. We're in the present. And so we can't look back uh, afterward and reflect on that time and, and make that fuel our further decisions. Because in the engineering process and when working on science research, everyone is bound to fail and everyone is going to make mistakes. So that hour or in my case, years back, the 12 hours I spent working on that problem Um, Whether I realized it or not at the time, I learned a lot. Um, And those learnings prevent us from making those same mistakes and and they help us grow and learn for the future. And so we can be more effective in the future. So I would say don't fall for the sunk cost fallacy and instead keep working on the problem, even if it seems that you've already failed a couple of times, because every time you're still going to learn more from making a mistake. Dropping the mic here, such a good advice, not to relive our mistakes, but even it sounds cliche to learn from them. And that really comes from rewiring your brain, um, how you shared how to change your perspective or outlook on the past and really try to figure out how to uh, work on your present and future in a more efficient way. So I think it benefits a lot of people and a lot of the listeners. Yeah, uh, I definitely think so. Like in really every single one of my research projects, I've been working with artificial intelligence um, and specifically deep learning. And so deep learning in the in when doing this programming for deep learning, there are, you know, hundreds of variables and hyperparameters and architectural changes that one can make to try to optimize their model. And so when the first thousand iterations fail. Um, it seems like, you know, I must be doing something wrong, but, or, or you feel like not working on that problem anymore. But at the end of the day, it's that the, the next iteration, the next change that you make, the 1001th change, that might be the one that's going to lead them to success. So that's why I say, like, don't fall for the sunk cost fallacy. Amazing. And uh, especially that you have this an analytical mindset, 
as you see where you went wrong, where you can fix it. And maybe that's why you're so passionate about productivity, because it's also about trying to take and squeeze, looking for holes to improve. Exactly. Yeah. Um, productivity and also applying that to one's life, just not just research, but um, you know, other aspects of life as well. You were named uh, America's top young scientist. You've clearly shown that the sky's the limit for you. How would you define success? I know it's a biggie, but I'm really interested. First off, I, I think I'll have to say that I would not define success through a title. Um, so, you know, whether it's some making it onto some list or my title of America's top young scientist, um, I don't think that's the definition of success. For me, that might have been a personal victory and a personal achievement. But in the long term, for generations, hundreds of years later, I think that's where the success comes from. And so I'd say success is de defined through impact that we have on our world and on other people. So for me, ultimately, the impact that I have on other people is the definition of success. And that's fueled my drive to work in biotech and work on computational biology and computational neuroscience research, where I can create tools, where I can create softwares and innovations that will directly have impacts on people's lives. Um, so for instance, my research on pancreatic cancer, if I can potentially create a tool that can have an impact on X amount of people, I'd say that's where the success is from, not from, you know, something else like like the the title or some recognition received for that. And the same thing applies to my research. Um, the ICOR research that I did on improving recombinant vaccine production, if I can have that impact to on the next pandemic or for the millions of cancer patients who are um, receiving some drug and make that more accessible for them by making it cheaper and, and making it uh, making the production faster, I think that's where the impact um, is, is lies. And so that's why I've been pursuing research because I believe that I, I'm genuinely, I genuinely want to have that impact on someone's life um, and, and hopefully improve it for the better. It's really beautiful how one person can have a tremendous amount of impact in the lives of others. And it really shows itself um, years later and in the long run. And it's really nice to hear that you have this bigger picture mentality. I've just started watching a Netflix series called Timeless. And it's no promotion or whatever, but it really loses what you've been sharing. Basically, they travel back in time and they solve crimes in every episode. And in the Hinderbrook's potion, someone... Um, had a change in their lives that it totally altered the way history looks at the present. And if we apply the same concept with the things we do, with the uh, projects you're passionate about, we can really have a generational impact for the people to come or the, for the next centuries to come. It really is a seed, but it can turn into a beautiful life-giving tree. I don't want to send too far off from here, but it's really impactful what you've shared. Yeah, uh, thanks for sharing that as well. It's um, Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And for me personally in biotech and in medicine, if you know I can have the impact to save uh, even one person's life, that one person will also have an impact on their society and they may be working on a research and development of their own. And so I think for me, ultimately, the the biggest uh, impact that the the way that I can um, give or create impact in the, the biggest way would be in, in biotech and in medicine. And you're definitely on the right path to achieve that. Now we're moving to the if that questions department, which is the hallmark of the Drop the Stem podcast. The first question is, if you were a czar of legislation, what could you change or what would you change about our society and why? So actually, last year in 2021, the United States' National Cancer Institute, they celebrated their 50th anniversary. Um, and so it dates back to 50 years before that, so 1971, when the, the Cancer Act was signed. And so that established the Na National Cancer Institute, and that basically kicked off um, and funded a lot of innovations and so much progress made in cancer treatment and cancer research to this day. As I've kind of mentioned earlier, I think research is the key to solving problems. And so from diseases like cancer to 
pandemics like COVID-19 to other issues like you know, water and food insecurity, all of these big problems, science innovations and STEM innovations are the key. So if I could change some legislation, I would want to allocate a lot of funding to subsidize research and development so that scientists and innovators and thinkers can make a bigger impact um, by having a, a greater access to resources. And so that's that's what I would change. Let me know when you're running for president. <laughs> um, but yes, it really is the jet fuel to improve the quality of our lives. And hopefully many people or more people are going to recognize that. I know it could be a college application question, but you are definitely in the right time to receive that. So if you could have dinner with anyone living today or from the past, who would you invite and why to your dinner party? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one for sure. I think there's there's a lot of people from the past that would that I would be interested in talking to. But the thing is, with the internet today, and uh, it's just I've been hearing so much more about people living today. Um, and so I think I would choose Elon Musk, and the reason why is primarily because of his involvements in tech innovation. I've been hearing a lot from OpenAI, which he was a co-founder of, and his other company, Neuralink, and also the engineering efforts and like on the more commercial side with like Tesla. Um, so it's, you know, it's really clear that that there's a lot of great innovation going on. And so the reason why I would want to have dinner with him is to hear more about the visionary aspects of that. Because there are, you know, a lot of scientists, there's a lot of researchers doing great work around the world, but solving problems on such a large scale with such large companies, I think that requires maybe a different visionary perspective. And so I think it would be really interesting to talk to someone like that, who is known to like work on problems and is known to be a great engineer as well and has proven himself uh, er in, earlier in his companies with direct involvements on engineering um, and solving problems, but also now having that visionary aspect to create like a big impact. And so it'd be great to talk to someone who has both of those perspectives uh, over a dinner. <laughs> That really would be quite out of the world experience. And Elon uh, always creates quite a buzz whenever he comes up with a new solution. What do you think? What type of guy uh, is Elon Musk? Is he a steak kind of guy or would you take him to a Chinese restaurant? What kind of place would you choose? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm not too sure. But uh, as an Indian American, um, I eat... Indian food on a pretty regular basis. So mm -hmm. maybe I'm not sure how how much Elon likes that, but maybe I would expose him to that. Is he gonna able to take the spice level? <laughs> Ooh, the spicy. I'll I'll make sure to request the waiter for a milder <laughs> level of spice. And then we're gonna move on to the this or that question game. So of course, as the name suggests, you gotta choose either or. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. The first one is Mac or PC? That's uh, PC. PC. And what's the reasoning behind your answer? I actually have both a MacBook and a PC desktop. So I'm calling in right now from my PC desktop. And so I'd say in terms of all of my desktop things that I do, from video editing to machine learning, that's all on my PC. But I feel like for a portable laptop device, the MacBook is the winner compared to the comparable Windows laptops. So that's why I was really hesitant. But maybe the PC in the end, just because of its uh, the just because it's the majority of the research work that I do. <laughs> yes, and I hear it's better for coding too. So I can understand. Yeah. yeah. And the second one is Arctic or tropical. I'd say Arctic and why is just because of the bugs um, that would be in tropical weather. I'm not too fond of insects. Mm. Yeah. And bugs when it comes to computing. So totally understandable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one is foresee the future or change the past. I think foresee the future. I'm a person who likes to live in the 
uh, in the present. And so I'd want to foresee the future so I can continue changing um, or continue making improvements in our current world. I'm kind of questioning um, the next question since it alludes to music and you've said that you're part of a choir, but it goes on like this, pop or rock? I'd say pop. Um, I Not because of choir, but because of what I listen to. I think I tend to listen to more pop than rock. And the last one is ability to travel anywhere, like without a passport, or ability to read minds. I think the ability to travel anywhere, I feel like reading someone's mind would be counterproductive for one's own thoughts and one's own personal growth. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't want to know what uh, what anybody else is thinking at the time. Taking stalking to a whole other level. Last question that really encapsulates all what we've um, talked about is what does STEM mean to you? Um, STEM is our entire existence as humans. It's what separates us from any other uh, species on this planet. And if we go back to the dawn of, of human civilization, I think it's only progressed because of STEM. Uh, of course, in the early days, that was more like being able to pick up stones. But of course, technology for agriculture and um and now more in modern times, uh, science and technology and medicine. And so I think STEM is what it helps um, our entire civilization progress. And it's what makes us human and separates our growth as a species and potentially one day from, from Earth to uh, the rest of the solar system and the galaxy. Inhabiting new planets? I think that's what separates us from anything else, our ability to grow. And we only grow from innovation. And that innovation comes from science, technology, engineering, and math. Well, on that note, I want to thank you, Risha, for sharing about your STEM journey, all of your passions, and also your productivity tips that's also going to impact the listeners today. Um, I'm sure that you will achieve many great things and that your work will impact many generations to come. So thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing all about yourself and the work that you do. Yeah, I had such a great time. Thanks so much for having me. Follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook as well. As always, thank you for taking a few moments of science with us and stay tuned for the next episode.